everybody. My name is Gabe. I'm Matt. And welcome to another episode of the Tentacle Bot Podcast. And today we're going to be breaking down an album that I had no idea we were even going to be doing this year. Matt, why don't you go ahead and uh, bring it in? You bet. So, Bullet for My Valentine just dropped a new record. And that one's, they're self-titled, so it's simply titled Bullet for My Valentine. That one was released November 5th, 2021 through Spine Farm Records. And looking at some information is we also found information for Search and Destroy Records. So uh, not completely sure how the um, those two labels are kind of tied to this. It so, likely has to do with them being overseas and they have like an American distribution label and a European distribution label. That's, that's my best guess. Didn't feel like looking into it. Yeah, and that's that's kind of <laughs> what we're, we're leaning on. Who is Bullet For My Valentine? We're uh, looking at the band is comprised of Matthew Matt Tuck on lead vocals and rhythm guitar. We have Michael Padge Paget on lead guitar and backing vocals, Jamie Mathias on bass and backing vocals, and then Jason Bold on drums and percussion. First impressions, man. Yo, so I haven't listened to Bullet for My Valentine since Fever Fever came out. Mm-hmm. And that was 2010, I believe. Yeah. And I heard a few things that they did over the course of the last 10 years and never enjoyed it. Like, I was, I, I never, I didn't. Let me back up. I didn't like Fever Fever to begin with. Mm-hmm. I I just thought it was going in a direction that was too whiny, and I was getting into a lot more deathcore and stuff like that. So it was just way too young, or way too. I I don't know how to really put it. It was just way too weak for me. Yeah. And I felt like as they progressed and did more albums over the years, they had three albums in between Fever Fever and this one, mm-hmm. and they just progressively were doing stuff that I didn't want, really want to hear. That's fair. This week we weren't really sure what to do for an album, and so when I saw a bullet from a Valentine, I like, eh, we'll try it. If anything, it'll just be another Escape the Fate episode. Right. Oh my god, I was not ready to like this <laughs> record. <laughs> no, and like because of the singles I had heard off of this record before, is there was a bit of a, a higher bar of expectation kind of coming into this because I was pretty excited about hearing some of the songs. So actually getting to hear the record and it actually exceeding my expectations i was quite surprised by i had a very low bar and this blew it out of the water oh 100 percent um musical review uh just kind of jumping into it dude this is a lot heavier than a lot of the other bullet for my valentine stuff that they've put out uh, yeah this is heavier than anything that they had done before mm-hmm. at least obviously i don't know uh if they had gotten heavier with venom gravity and i forgetting what the other one is temper temper yeah that sounds right yeah i I think it's fever and temper temper not temper not fever fever (laughs) yeah i think i think that's right so with um i want to say it was temper temper or venom as they started getting kind of heavy again um then they kind of backed off for gravity and now they've come back into this and from my understanding with this record is so if I remember correctly, is Temper Temper and Venom was Bullet for My Valentine kind of pushing a little bit heavier. And then they backed off quite a bit with Gravity. And I believe I may have heard a song that was off that record and it was pretty weak. And uh, I can't remember the source, but Matt Tuck had said is going into this record is they were going to be writing a much heavier and a much more technical record. And that's really what this record is. Um, again, this is much heavier than even early Bullet for My Valentine, which wasn't, it was heavy, but it wasn't this heavy. 
a lot of emphasis on the riffs on the record, and it reminded me a lot of As I Lay Dying. Yeah, there is so many riffs on this record. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the, so I used to be a fan of Bullet for My Valentine way back when, like when I was first getting into guitar, and I thought like they were the coolest things in the world. Yeah, and they had all these crazy solos and these sick riffs that were just easy to play, and not not easy, but like they, they were still like a challenge but like i was able to play them and that made me feel like i was getting somewhere as, as right. a guitarist and man th- th- this warmed my heart a lot yeah um, this I'm, one was i'm still not a fan of of matt tuck's clean vocals they just feel like they're trying to be edgy mm-hmm. and like that he's really just kind of trying to force uh, a rasp that's not really there in, in his natural voice but like i i live with it because a again instruments on the album phenomenal yeah the whole way through there is not a single complaint that i have about any of the instruments um his screams are still just monstrous yeah like i don't know that i've heard anyone scream so consistently ever no i don't think so either these guys put out their first like full-length album i think in 2005 that's, His yeah. screams still sound like uh, on, in 2021. They still sound like the screams that he was doing in 2005. Yeah, if not with, even with more bite. Than it, exactly, did just like with the same full-on saturation, the the heat behind it, like everything about it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like I said, I I really cannot complain about most of the uh, of the musical aspect of mm-hmm. this. Yeah, no, and honestly, I'm right there yeah. with you. I was just really impressed with this. Yeah, lyrically, on the other hand. No. I can definitely complain. Yeah, no, and I, I'm right there with you. Like, the sad thing is, and I've actually got a couple songs pulled up, and I can kind of dig into some of the specific lyrics, but we're just seeing a lot of tropes, really, in mm-hmm. the in the lyrical content, and it's maybe not just in what the subject matter is that the song's about, but the way that phrases are used or what phrases are in the songs is I was just reading through and I I'll be completely honest I read I think it's the first four songs lyrics and I was just like nope I'm uh, I'm gonna call it after this so there were a couple songs that like felt like they were a little bit more personal like uh, Rainbow Veins and Death by a Thousand Cuts uh, two of the tracks on the album mm-hmm. were both reasonable lyric uh, reasonable reasonably written lyrics mm-hmm. uh, um, in terms of just like it didn't feel like it was trying to be edgy and it was trying to be heavy and hard, mm-hmm. but it actually felt like it was coming from a more personal state. Yeah, and I I appreciated that a lot. But yeah, no, I, I 100% agree with you. It, like it just felt like so much of this was just copy paste. Okay, this sounds hard. This sounds edgy. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so heavy, so hard. <laughs> Brute. Yes. <laughs> Now, one thing that was definitely interesting about this record was the artwork. Yeah, I <laughs> I still have no idea what this is. Basically, the best way to explain it would be to, uh, there's the Slayer record. Uh, Seasons of the Abyss. Yeah, Seasons of the Abyss, where it has like that weird skull face on it. It is kind of reminiscent of that, mm-hmm. but like a stripped down version with some weird hatches for like where the eyes would be and yep, like the, the eyes nose and then little hashes to almost look like teeth on the face or kind of uh, like a Hannibal Lecter mask <laughs> yeah I can actually see that now that now that I'm looking at it and then it's on top of this almost pixelated gray background um 
it's it's a thing. Yeah, I, like I, I just I don't, <laughs> I don't know what it I is. I don't know what it is either. <laughs> I, yeah, I I don't really know how it translates to the album. Really, like even looking at it, like the image that's behind this kind of like light bulb shaped, scratched out eyes, nose, teeth thing, like maybe it looks kind of like a uh, a very degraded rendition of a uh, like a X-ray image of a skull or something. Yeah, I don't know. It's really up for interpretation. I feel like it reflects the album well. Like if after listening to the album and looking at this image, it feels like the image matches the art, mm-hmm. and so like the art complements itself in that way. Yeah. But um, yeah, I have no idea what this is. <laughs> not not entirely sure. And it, the the weird thing too is there's not even like the band name on it. There's not the album name on it. There's nothing. It's literally just this face. Yeah, you just, so you just you just better know that it's them. And if you're looking for the Bull from Valentine record, look for something that doesn't have a name on it, and you might get it. <laughs> so basically, two <laughs> words, good luck. <laughs> and we're going to jump right into the track-by-track track breakdown. What do we do in the track-by-track track breakdown, Matt? We break down it track-by-track. <laughs> track. <laughs> Parasite to start it off. Oh, my God, man. So... Th- this this track opens up with a minute and a half of like broken static featuring really low quality bits of their most popular songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's your betrayals in there, hand of blood, scream, aim, fire, waking the demon, tears don't fall uh, was yep. in there, and um, there's one or two others that I'm I'm yeah. on off the moment, and I I don't know that it really it, it doesn't have anything to do with the song. Mm-hmm. Like the song is, for lack of a better term, it's just really cut and paste. You're a parasite. I don't like you. I want to hurt you, kind of thing. Yeah. There's no real substance to it other than just Edginger. Yep. Edginger. <laughs> like, I just feel like it was a really nice, um, I don't know, throwback yeah. to a lot of that stuff because a lot of that stuff that I had liked, I hadn't heard in recent stuff. Mm-hmm. And then they come out with this. It just kind of warms my early 2000, two, early, early 2010s metalcore heart. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, okay, you know what? That that was fun. I really appreciated yeah. that. Well, and it was so nostalgic, especially hearing mm-hmm. those old songs. And I haven't heard them in a, in a quite a while either. I think, like I was saying uh, before we started recording, I think I had seen these guys back in about 2015. And I can't remember what they were releasing, but they I think that was when they were starting to get heavy again before they put out Gravity. 2015, I believe, would have been uh, Venom. Okay, that sounds right. Um, I can find out. I only had the power of the internet at my hey fingertips. Yo. So I had seen them, and I got to hear those songs live at that point. So I, I'm pretty sure they played Waking the Demon and Your Betrayal. So I'm like, this is great. But actually getting to hear those again after almost shunning Bullet Away. Yeah, like I, I honestly, I haven't heard these songs in maybe close to six or seven years now, too. Jeez. Yeah, like it's just, I don't know. It's just one of those things that you kind of get pushed back to the back of my mind. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, so that goes on for about a minute and a half. And then all hell breaks loose. Ooh, <laughs> dude, it, it it does like this album comes in so heavy and so unapologetic like there's a ferocity in here that just rivals scream aim fire and i'm here for it like Mm -hmm. it it is just four minutes of unabashed just bludgeoning yeah no it's literally just a wave of force and there there's never really a moment where the song ever slows down even in the chorus it's pretty much like a baseball bat just hits you across the face and it's completely okay. <laughs> yeah. 
what else is pretty okay is the next song titled Knives, which was yep. the first single of the record. And then Parasite was actually single number two. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Knives wastes no time in bringing back mm-hmm. the riffing on this one. And like, it's not quite as heavy. It's still super upbeat and super groovy. Mm-hmm. Um, the lyrics are a little less cheesy on this one, but there's still quite a bit of cheese. Yeah. And uh, overall, like this song is a great song to follow up the opener and it's a headbanger. Yeah, and I've actually got the um, the lyrics here for Knives. So this did re- set a really good expectation of what you would be getting in the record, uh, being that it was the first single. It set the expectation really nicely. But just to open up the, the first verses, living with snakes, feeding the hate, killer betrayal, shedding the skin, bitter within, cower with shame. Venomous tongue, back in the lungs, kissing the pain, kissing the pain with constant pushing, provoking reactions. So it's like, okay, you know, like, there's a little bit of something there, but it's also like, there's a lot of just snakes being referenced already, in especially in music that's trying to trying to be edgy or trying to be angry like it's just snakes are referenced so much is it's just it unfortunately it falls right into the tropes um it's a solid song sound wise mm-hmm. though i've got a yeah it, it definitely falls in my top three of songs that like i just enjoy listening mm-hmm. to like this one and parasite are, are definitely up there for me yeah i i think knives is probably number two for favorite single um, but I mean, it's, it's a good song that blends the screams and cleans really well. And, uh, before I end up just dragging on with nothing else to say is my reverie. I, I really like this song too. Really? I really do. Like th- th- this one is more reminiscent of old bullet from a Valentine mm-hmm. and it honestly just slaps. The guitar solo is super sick and it, it's absolutely going on the list of songs that I want to learn personally. Okay. And yeah, the the ending breakdown is just super gnarly. It kind of reminds me of uh, uh, Amongst the Shadows and Stones mm-hmm. uh, by Trivium, where it's kind of like just like that ending. It's got like a slower drum, or like a halftime drum beat, but the guitars are still doing, doing what they do, and it just, mm, it's so good. Yeah. So this personally isn't, in my opinion, the best song on the record, but it's one of those songs that I can definitely see them welcoming into the live set, and it would absolutely fit really well. I could also see it being another single in the future, especially if they were kind of wanting to get a song out into more rock radio. Mm -hmm. So this would probably be maybe not terrestrial radio, but maybe like an octane-level single that, that would see a lot of radio play. It's a decent song. It's just not my personal favorite. Yeah, it's up there for me. I would say it's like honestly kind of just falls in track order. Like Parasite's is number one, Nines is number two, mm-hmm. this is number three. Um, yeah, I, th- this is the first one like that really like just kind of caught my attention outside of obviously Parasite being the opener. Yeah. But like when I was listening to my Reverie, like it just kind of started slowing down. And I'm like, okay, fine. They went out. They they did their heavy stuff. Now they're not going to do anymore. Mm-hmm. And then it just still like just obliterates the track. Yeah. And no, absolutely. Like, All right, fine. Good enough. Sure, absolutely. You guys keep doing this, and then they keep doing it, and they go into no happy ever after. That thrash riff, though, it just (laughs) comes in. This is a song to play at a show as well, and the technicality in this is insane. The riffs are great. The solo in this was phenomenal. Drumming was on point, and then Matt, dude, he got 
after it in this song. I think this is probably the angriest he sounds on the record. In yeah, this song. definitely. Um, th- this one is another one that kind of falls in the vein of Old Bullet, mm-hmm. and it, it really kind of goes beyond that too. Like that early metalcore chug and drive, like feeling like Old Bullet, Kill Switch, and so many of the old like just metalcore heroes that paved the way. Mm-hmm. Um, the breakdown on this one is super neat. It's definitely out of the realm that I'm used to with Bullet from a Valentine. Like yeah. once they start really getting into it, because like it has this like super um syncopated off time kind of like groove to it that just sounds so disgusting uh and then we get another fantastic solo and it just the 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 album reminds me of how good of musicians these dudes are yeah well and i think they've been around for so long and this is i think full length number seven for them which that actually caught me significantly by surprise because i thought they were around for a lot longer and that they'd have closer to album 10 by now Mm -hmm. so that that caught me by surprise i mean kind of because i mean like if you if you kind of break it down they've been around for 16 years give or take a year yeah like eps that weren't released on a major label or anything Mm -hmm. like that so 16 years with seven albums that's just shy of two albums or an album every two years that's pretty on point yeah, um, well, and I think because they did, I want was temper temper. I want to say an EP, so I think that's no, prob- it was a full length. Oh, was it? Yeah, okay, yeah. And temper temper was a full length. So break it down here, uh, just so we can reference this and not get it wrong every mm-hmm. time. Poison came out in two thousand five. Screaming Fire came out in two thousand eight. Fever came out in twenty ten. Temper temper in twenty thirteen. Venom in twenty fifteen. Uh, Gravity in twenty eighteen, and then obviously this one in twenty nineteen. Okay. For some reason, I thought there was an EP that they released, but I, I could be there, wrong. So there were two EPs. There was the Hand of Blood EP, and there was the uh, something kills John. Uh, Jeff killed John, uh, which was like their forerunner band that they had done stuff with. Mm-hmm. Um, it was so I'm sorry. I guess it wasn't an EP. Um, but uh, Hand of Blood was uh, the, it was an EP, and then they had a self-titled EP, and those were both released in 2005. Okay. Cool, that's actually good to know. Cause yep. So now we don't sound like idiots and we know what we're talking <laughs> about. <laughs> Which is us most of the time. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, no, th- this one, it just, I really like this song this, too. This I, one's I actually really might, fun. I think this might take number three and Reverie Falls to four. Okay. I, I forgot, like, man, this song just hits so no, hard. I, I completely understand that. The next song is Can't Escape the Waves. And I don't know if you caught this, but it constantly felt like it was building and then it felt like the volcano erupted and then it just would build again. And it almost felt like it was just constantly just building and releasing. I did get that. Um, another thing about this, and th- this is fully like pun is intended. Um, this song feels really influenced by new wave metalcore. <laughs> so like think of like in the realms of like architects or era mm-hmm. or something like that. Like that, just like that riff that they're doing there in the beginning. And yeah. How it goes. Like it feels very new metalcore. I could, I could see that and actually. So they, they can't escape the waves of new metalcore, I guess. I, I don't know. <laughs> These dirty, dirty boys. But yeah, no, uh, this one here, um, I, I like the the heavy use of bass throughout the intro and the verses. Mm-hmm. Um, it had like this kind of cool, empty yet full effect to it. Yeah, because so many of Bullet's songs are so guitar driven that it kind of felt nice to have a lot of that um, more mid and and high registers, just really empty, and leaving mm-hmm. it to kind of uh, leaving it for the bass to fill in. Um, so I thought that was a really neat effect that they were able to utilize. The vocals really hurt this one for me. 
Okay. Um, I'm again. I'm not really a big fan of Matt Tuck's clean vocals. The verses are fine, but when he like when he's saying "I can't escape the waves," it just feels super weak, and I feel like that's something that just should have been like an all-out scream. Oh, at, at that okay. Point. He's just like, "I can't escape the waves," <laughs> and then it goes into this super sick riff, mm-hmm. and he's just like, "I can't escape the waves." Are you trying to audition for Backstreet Boys, dog? Bye, bye, bye. <laughs> 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 you suck. Ain't nothing but it. Tell me why. Ain't nothing <laughs> okay, I gotta stop this. I'm, I'm just angering everybody today. I called it Fever Fever. You said Backstreet Boys, and I sang and sing. Yeah, and we just did that. We're, this is this is the episode we get canceled for sure. Uh, probably. I don't know. Then we uh, move on to. Uh, I'm sorry, you didn't go ahead. <laughs> uh, no, honestly, I really didn't have anything else. That, I mean, like it was a cool song. I thought it was kind of fun, and then just the the talk about the kind of the build and release is really all I had for the song. So fair enough. Let's jump right into it. Yeah. Uh, the next song, track number six here, is going to be Bastards. Oh. They tried to get political. I felt like this song was released a week too late because it had such a Halloween vibe, and I don't know what it was about it. And completely isolate the vocals from it, but like the instrumentals, it had just this Halloween vibe, and I don't know how or why, but it it just made me think Halloween. I disagree with you there, but uh, that's whatever. Yeah. Um, the song Does it sound like out- it has Danzig? <laughs> doesn't have enough rise against <laughs> uh, really the song stuck out th- uh when i was listening through it the initial times and i think part of it is just how kind of different it felt compared to everything else i mean the song's fine it's not again not my favorite song but it was okay yeah this one here th- this one was really rough for me um like i said they tried to get political mm-hmm. like it they try to reference like rebellion and anarchy, and it really just sounds like it's edgy teens writing a song about fighting an establishment they don't know much about. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that one hurt for me. Um, yeah. The bridge slash verse three, wh- whatever they want to call it, is really sick. Um, they it kind of goes in from like this radio rock kind of just swinging, swaying kind of feel to it to like the super heavy bit. Uh, before they go into the rest of the song, which ranks into a pretty ranks pretty high on the mess scale, mm-hmm. uh, the guitar solos once again phenomenal, and the final riff and the ending of the song was tight as well. And I wish I had seen more of it throughout the rest of the song. Yeah, no, I get that because like they bring in this super neat riff at the very end, lasts for about ten seconds, and then it's done. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, th- th- this one is pretty low on my list. Yeah, no, I have to agree. Uh, what else is pretty low on my list is the next song titled Rainbow Veins, which is the fourth single off the record. And honestly, it's the weakest of the singles. All I've got to say is it's just an okay song. Yeah, it definitely feels like the stereotypical slow song. Mm-hmm. I'm glad for a few things, though, because I, I, I like it all right. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm glad for a few things. One, that it's not another Tears Don't Fall copy. Yeah. Or a Tears Don't Fall Part 3 because they did a Part 2 and that just set a fire in my oh, soul. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. I try to forget about it. <laughs> I completely forgot that happened. That's right. I'm not going to go on my rant about how sequels <laughs> are just never good. Uh, Listen it, to it, the Ice Nine Kills episode for at least part of that rant. Yeah. Well, that, that yeah. Mm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then two that it's it, it's actually a solid song. Mm-hmm. Um, this uh, as I mentioned up at the top of the episode, uh, that this one here feels like it has a little bit more substance in the lyrics. Yeah. The, lyrically, it's 
obviously about substance abuse as a result of tebre- of depression, and it feels more genuine on the record without like actually using every trope of every edgy music. Like there's still plenty of them in there. Yeah, but it feels like it's a more personal use of it. And like, yeah, these are the th- these are what people say, but this is actually how I feel, and there's a reason that people say these things. Mm-hmm. Um, the breakdown is super gnarly on this one too. Yeah, like they, they the heavy stuff they nailed down pat. Mm-hmm. The softer stuff, uh, they could probably reel it in. Yeah, the the softer stuff was definitely hit and miss, but the heavy guys, they just came in just so hard and so so good with it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, then we jump into the next track, Shatter. Uh, this one has another slow burn intro. It goes on for about a minute of this kind of like just droning uh, ramp up, and then it's just straight riffing. Mm-hmm. Brings you into the song like th- this one here is is super heavy. It gives me really big uh, Parkway Drive vibes, mm-hmm. like uh, post ire. Yeah, uh, I don't have a lot to say about this one, but it's a headbanger for sure. Like I really like this song. Yeah, I don't have too much to say on this one, but this one's definitely one of my favorites, if not my favorite of the singles. Okay. Um, it may end up actually being favorite for the record uh, between this and three? knives. Yep, single number three. And it's simple but technical in a way. The song's catchy. The song's heavy. It's I I just really like the song. And then you get these tasteful last few seconds. And mm. Gabe and I sitting here listening to it, and we're just both just like, ooh, I like that a yep. lot. Uh, one thing to note on here as well is um, th- this song. I don't remember if uh, the next two have it, but this song as well as like most of the last seven songs have some sort of intro lyric mm-hmm. and i understand like it, it's cool it hits the point home but it's getting used too much <laughs> yeah it's like well like um when ginger do, like to kind of provide another example is ginger's song where she does the stop go da, 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 and it cuts yeah. into the yeah there, there was a lot of that scene yeah. here on this uh, record I, yeah I'll, I'll, I'll take a look here in a second Okay, so I looked it up. It's six out of ten songs on this record have some sort of intro lyric before mm-hmm. it really cuts into the full song. Okay. Um, I don't know. I, 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 I like the use of it in some cases, but I feel like it's being used too much here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's really it. No, uh, I, I get that. Yeah. The next song um, doesn't use it. It's uh, Paralyzed, and that's Paralyzed spelled with an S because these guys are from the UK, mm-hmm. and they do weird things like that because we're ignorant American people, and we don't accept other things. I don't know. <laughs> can't argue with it. <laughs> I really can't. This episode's devolving today, isn't it? <laughs> it really is. But no, this song is probably the fastest on the album in regards to BPM. <laughs> this thing just goes. I don't know if you caught it while we were listening, but I had my eyes closed and I was bobbing my head, and I eventually started tapping the table to the snare, mm-hmm. and it was just constant. Yeah, no, the, the, the song is it's super fast, it's super heavy. Even as the album's coming to a close, there's still moments for a song like this to shine. Mm-hmm. Um, and the weird thing about this song is, in a way, it kind of felt like it was starting to try and bring the album to a close, but at the same time, because of how fast the band's moving, is it feels like we still have a whole lot of record to go. It, it doesn't feel like they're getting tired. Exactly. And, and I, I really appreciate that from them here. Mm-hmm. Um, the breakdown riff is phenomenal. It makes me want to open up my own pit, and this song is just a circle pit song, if I ever heard one. <laughs> if you... You guys could have seen before we started recording, Gabe was sitting there in his chair, swinging his arms as if he was actually in a pit. 
Um, the cool thing about this one that I also made a note of is the clean vocals and the chorus don't feel out of place. And the way the guitars actually back up Matt's in the chorus is actually really dope. But where we typically kind of hear just a, a slower riff that's kind of like mid-tone, sometimes going into kind of fluctuate between the low and high stuff. This one is, they went full high register, so mm -hmm. it's just this really high pitch guitar under Matt's cleans, and it just, it worked out really well. Yeah, they, like, this song is just full send. Yeah, full send, great. Last song, which is Death by a Thousand Cuts. Honestly, this is a solid bookend of this album. Mm -hmm. Like it, it really pulls together the heavy and the soft, though it's mostly heavy. Yeah, and it just it leaves the listener with a healthy desire for more. Like I don't feel like I've missed anything mm -hmm. through this record, but like I want to hear them do more of this. Yeah, a and I feel like that's a really healthy way to leave a record. And the final solo on the album. It's phenomenal, and they just kill it on this track. Yeah. No, this one, I, I kind of put the same thing. as I was like, is this the end of the record? Because this doesn't make it feel like it. It's. I, I think when you look at this song compared to other closers for records, I think this is decent, but I think for this record specifically, I feel like this just makes the most sense. Mm -hmm. um, Matt sounds a lot like Telly from The Word Alive with his clean vocals mm -hmm. in this one. And I was kind of sitting there. I, I wanted, It might have been this song or it may have been another one during initial listens. I'm like, See, is I that Telly? I thought he sounded like Danzig. <laughs> You're never living that one down, okay? You were not going to live that one down. Like It's nope. going to come up a lot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I 100% I, I <laughs> understand. Yeah, that, that, so that's going to do it for our track-by-track uh, our -track breakdown of Bullet for My Valentine's self-titled album. And uh, now what we like to do is go ahead and give it our tentacle rating on a scale of one to eight tentacles. So, Matt, on a scale of one to eight tentacles, where are you at? I'm putting it at a six. Okay. I was going to put it at a seven, but unfortunately the lyrics was a little bit too much of a turnoff. So I, I think that kind of lost some points. I just want to go listen to Old Bullet now. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I'm 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 in the same boat. It's a six for me. Like, I came into this record expecting Escape the Fate Part Two. Yeah, and I was utterly surprised. Like every premonition that I had going into this record was utterly demolished, except for Matt Tuck clean vocals. But <laughs> I understand it's a personal thing, but I'm not getting over it. <laughs> that's that's fair. But yeah, like it, like you said, the lyrics were were fairly rough, but overall, like this is still just an enjoyable album to listen to mm -hmm. as long as you just kind of leer towards more the, uh, the instrument side of things. Yeah. Cause the instruments are, are perfect. And, and, and I think it definitely is a very pleasing album to the ears for mm -hmm. sure. Like if you, if you do too much of a deep dive, that's going to be where you're disappointed, but like just g listening to the instrumentals and like, like you said, is just, that's where it's at. Yeah. The, the album was produced by Carl Brown, um, who he, he's done quite, quite a bit if i'm not mistaken um he he's done a lot of stuff with like while she sleeps gunship uh i'm sure there's a few others and i'm, I'm totally blanking on mm -hmm. like I, I know he's done quite a bit uh oh he's actually done some trivium stuff too I'm oh right on, on. That's really cool. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> um, so like his his mixing on this is, or his his production and, and direction on this is just phenomenal. Yeah, no, he and did a fantastic job. Yeah, like I, I have no complaints whatsoever on the musical quality of it. Like genuinely, my only complaints are Matt Tuck's voice, which is a personal thing, mm -hmm. and the lyrical content. Yeah, and like I feel like it's enough to hold it back. 
but at the same time, like this is still a solid record, and I'm I'm happy to go back and listen to it. Yeah, no, absolutely. So what we like to jump into now that we've completed our breakdown of the self-titled Bullet for My Valentine record is our hidden track where we talk about something in the realm of music that isn't particularly related to this record, but always just something nice to talk about. Hey, what do you got for us this week? Uh, this week, I want to talk about the new Dying Wish record. Uh, so we actually missed this one in the beginning of October. Uh, it just hadn't really come on my radar. I'm going to be seeing the Acacia Strain at the end of the month. And, That's going to uh, be so sick. I'm so excited for it. Uh, but the uh, Dying Wish is going to be one of the supporting bands. And so they release an album called Fragment of a Bitter Memory uh, on October 1st. Uh, and that was on Sharp Tone Records. Uh, this record is super sick. Okay. It's um, it, so the lead singer is a female, and she kills it. Okay. Kills it. What um, what style is Dying Wish? Um, I would stick them kind of like in the like the more deathcore okay. area. Like I I don't recall. I, I haven't listened to the record a ton yet. But I don't recall any moments of actual clean singing. I'm pretty sure it's just all her screaming. Okay. And the instruments are phenomenal. They're super heavy. It opens up, and I wasn't expecting the, her shriek, mm-hmm. but it kind of sounded um, in the vein of... Uh, uh, it reminded me of uh, Jess Nix from uh, Mortality Rate. Okay. Um, and it's just this super crazy, nasty shriek, and I'm, I'm about it. I, I'm going to be listening to these guys a lot more uh, coming up to the the concert but then even afterwards yeah like no, the, it's just i'm so hyped on this band right now that sounds really spicy yeah. i've also got to i've also got to check out unorthodox they're another band that's going to be there and I, i've been listening to kubla khan for a while now kubla khan's solid yeah they they get moshy mm-hmm. <laughs> also the lead singer sounds like ray romano anyway go ahead <laughs> Awesome. So I actually sat down and finally listened to the new EP by War of Ages called Rima. Um, again, for spelling, that's R-H-E-M-A. Uh, Gabe did a breakdown of the EP two weeks ago. No, because it came out October 29th, so probably last week. Was it during our Whitechapel episode? I don't. It was either the Whitechapel episode or the Every Time I Die episode. We recorded them on the same day in reverse order, so our, our timeline is a little. Yeah, at the we're we're a little. Um, I did it on one of them. Yeah. So if you haven't listened to either of them, go listen to both of them. Absolutely, <laughs> dude. This EP was insane. Mm-hmm. Like I remember you were saying, like War of Ages can do no wrong, and I'm like, okay, Gabe, that's some pretty high praise. Oh my god. <laughs> Oh my god. They do no wrong. <laughs> I am so impressed with this EP. I have 100% intention of going back and listening to their other material. Like this just comes in. It's that old metalcore feeling, but a little bit of that new stuff sprinkled in just just enough to add that flavor and it's just so so good. Uh Something that I don't really have so much praise for is new Slipknot. They just dropped. <laughs> so they just dropped a song, and it's called "The Chapel Town Rag." Yep. Um, it's Slipknot. Yeah. I mean, it's it's. I've heard it once, twice. Oh, or did you just pause it? Just no. oh, <laughs> I thought you were pausing it. 
I've listened to it technically a time and a half. Um, I listened to the song completely and Nick Nocturnal because he did a reaction to it. Well, the way it was recorded in the video he did is it was broken up in chunks or like chunks of the song were missing. And I wonder if that has something to do with the label. That's very possible. Um, So I wasn't able to listen to the song in its entirety and I could definitely hear. I just wasn't really digging on it that much. Yeah, it's just Slipknot. Um, there's not really much I have to say on this one. Yeah, I listened to it as well. I got a buddy of mine. Um, a shout out, shout out to my buddy Zach. Um, uh oh, he has been hanging a one star review over my head. If I don't ever do a, a review of Wheeler Walker Jr.'s first album, so Zach, if you listen to this, uh, here here it is: Wheeler Walker's first album. It's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Zach. If, if you don't know Wheeler Walker Jr., he is a, a country artist who writes very profane, grotesque, and stupid songs. He is uh, responsible for the the Drop Em Out, Let, Let Me See Them Titties song. Okay. Yeah, so th- th- that's really all you need to know about him. Anyway, back back to White, uh, Slipknot. Slipknot. <laughs> Whitechapel? <laughs> yeah. Ba- back to Slipknot here. Um he he's like, hey, Slipknot dropped their new song because uh, he was actually at the concert that almost burned down here in Phoenix. Oh, that's <laughs> right. I totally forgot about that. Yeah, you want to know what the best part about that whole thing is? What's that? They never turned on the little tur- water turrets. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, so anyway, um, so Slipknot was supposed to debut their new song at that concert. They didn't, obviously, because people set a bonfire and they had to evacuate everybody, so they had to cut like four songs from their set. Why, dude? That's like literally par for the course for Slipknot. Dude, I don't know. White people. Anyway. Good enough. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So he's like, yo, you got to listen to it. It's so good. I listened to it, and I'm just like, it's Slipknot. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and, and, and then I went on to explain to him, too. It was like... Slipknot is one of those bands that if you grew up listening to them, then you're going to have a a severe love for them. Yeah. If you didn't grow up listening to them and you got into different stuff and then found them later on, it's one of those things where it's just boring. Yeah. And that's that's the, the position that I'm in with Slipknot. I recognize what they've done for the community, and I recognize that the impact that they had being really kind of like one of the first mainstream metal bands mm-hmm. that wasn't like like a hair metal yeah hair metal or uh like your uh metallica and acdc and iron maiden those kind of bands like the ones that are a lot more palatable for the for the public at least nowadays Mm -hmm. they really came out and did something kind of like what pantera was doing but better than pantera because they were getting on the radio and pantera really wasn't and so i recognize what they've done for music as a whole and heavy music being kind of more ushered in more into the mainstream that being said, I just don't like them. No, I, it's I just get not that. for me. Corey Taylor is an okay vocalist. They're all decent musicians. Joey Jordison obviously was, was a phenomenal drummer. Paul Gray was a good, uh, uh, was a, a decent bassist. He was a great songwriter. Mm-hmm. But like overall, like just it is okay. Yeah. And the last thing I, I'll just kind of comment on Subnot is I'm kind of in a, a, a an in between. Like I grew up listening to Subnot, but I think kind of as sim- similar to you is 
I just started liking different things mm-hmm. and going back to Slipknot is they just don't have the same bite to them that I remember kind of growing up with them as a, you know, late elementary school, junior high, high school when I was really into them. But that's going to do it for today's episode. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. You guys can find us on Podbean, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, really wherever you find your uh, There's podcast. There's so many different little tiny places anymore. I found this like whole subsection of Podbean, which is what our, our main hosting service is, mm-hmm. that has like 80 different places that people have listened to us on. And like half of it has from the Iron Maiden record, because for whatever reason, that thing is still climbing. It's over yeah. 100 listens now. So hey. Yay, we're going viral. And not really. We're just... <laughs> <laughs> starting to become a podcast <laughs> yeah seriously <laughs> but yeah um so you can find us on all those different places uh where can they find us on social media man you can find us on tiktok on instagram on facebook and on youtube all at tentacle bop where we sometimes post there we sometimes do <laughs> yeah uh we're also considering twitter so maybe keep an eye out for that so that way you know we can start beef with somebody uh, maybe we'll start by talking smack directly to escape the fate you know even though we've already done that but you know who, who cares uh please do also <laughs> like rate and subscribe to really any of those places you get the podcast as well as on our social media that way you guys can keep up on when we drop new episodes we've kind of started slowing down we were doing two episodes a week but you know honestly coming into the end of the year we might end up seeing another spur to just stuff drop so two episodes a week may be coming back but we're uh fingers crossed we don't have to yep (laughs) (laughs) thank you guys so much and until the next time we'll catch you there see you later